Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Ravi. I just wanted to drop you a note to say that we recorded this episode prior to the horrific shooting in Texas. And needless to say, this is a horrific tragedy. And when we talked about Buffalo, you know, just an episode or two ago, we talked about how these are becoming all too common, these tragedies. And it's so tough and so frustrating to both acknowledge the sanctity of human life and and how horrible these things are, while also knowing that we're going to continue to have this conversation if we don't do something about gun reform. So know that we're going to come back to this conversation in future episodes. We're going to continue to talk about this. Hopefully, we have fewer of these tragedies. But in order to ensure that, we've got to do something urgently in Washington and around the country and our states. And we're going to put our focus on that. And so I hope you enjoyed this episode. uh, And I know that we're going to continue this conversation. And we're going to talk in future weeks about this really important issue. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. Ravi, how you doing? Can't complain, man. It's like summertime out here in New York. It must be scorching down there. Uh, it was. And then we've had sort of this, like, it's not, it's like been a little bit of rain. But yeah, it's gotten pretty hot here. Like I'm applying sunblock on a regular basis and looking at everyone around me and being like, Oh, would you like some sunscreen? And everyone's like, no. <laughs> and then, but, but I, I am, uh, in the phase of the year where I'm just spraying sunscreen on myself all the time, which is what it's like to, uh, have my skin tone. Well, imagine you're out there playing baseball, right? And remind me what position are you in the outfield? Yeah, I play center field, so I'm like constantly just putting it on my neck and my. Actually, it was funny this last game. I looked over and there is one other guy who's got a very similar skin tone to me, and he was playing left field. And I noticed he was wearing his hat backwards. Like that's how oh, no. he was working that hard to keep the sun off the back of his neck. Well, I, you, you need like one of those hats with a back bill and a front bill because like, <laughs> yeah, like you also a- need to protect your <laughs> front of your face, like a yeah. Gomer pile sort of situation. Yeah, or just like yeah, one of those floppy absolutely. hats. Yeah, I know people who actually have those and they tie it under their chin and they go surfing with those to protect themselves. It's that's, quite a look. See, that's it's at a certain age you got to just not care. Yeah, it's and always the be, older like, surfers who are like, mm-hmm. I don't care how cool I look. I've, I've been yeah. through this before. Yeah, how's everything going? Getting ready for the book. Thank you for asking. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It comes out July 5th. Things are going very well. We have like over 350 people on the launch team, which signing up for that ends this week. And the launch team, again, is where people can, if you sign up uh, to, you know, basically just write a review of the book, then you can get a digital copy of it as early as this week, uh, as opposed to waiting to July 5th. And so uh, we're off to to a roaring start. Lots of good reviews from the people who have read it already coming in. And that's really encouraging. Awesome. I'll plug it once again. This book is amazing. Get it early and tweet nice things about it. And you may get a retweet from Jason Kander. 
That's right. Uh, but jasoncander.com slash launch team. Thank you for asking me about it. All right, Ravi, what are we talking trash about this week? I think for the first time in a while, we're not talking about Madison Cawthorn. We could, though. He did give us something to talk about. I'm going to find a way to make this about Madison Cawthorn. So just bear with me here. But I think we're going to start with Donald J. Trump Sr. And he has this website called Truth Social, which is his kind of Twitter competitor. And he retweeted something that made the news recently. And I think we're going to use this as an opportunity just to talk about the social platform. So there was somebody tweeted on his platform, the most powerful country in the world is falling so fast that it makes you rethink what are the real reasons. Something so big and powerful can't be destroyed so quickly unless the enemy comes from within. And then somebody retweeted that saying civil war. And then Trump retweeted that. So basically Trump is retweeting stuff on his social platform about a civil war. What do we make of this? And this also should give us an opportunity to revisit how Truth Social is doing generally. Well, I read an article that said that it, part of the reason that it went from being the number one downloaded app on Apple to, I think, like close to number 200 is that there was, I guess, a three-week waiting period to get your account. And then the guy who wrote about this and got his account and then got on three weeks later said it was a little bit ghost townish. Mm-hmm. Like th- some of the most prominent conservatives were not there. Like Tucker Carlson is not on there. Ben Shapiro is not on there. And that there's a lot of bots, which like, you know, you kind of would expect. I mean, because you don't just go out apparently and create a social media platform. Apparently it's hard to do yep. uh, is what they're finding. And it's interesting that like Ben Shapiro and Tucker Carlson are treating it like people treat like a new Apple product. Like when the Apple Watch came out and people were like, I think I'll wait for (laughs) 2.0. Like that seems to be how people are approaching Truth Social. So we shouldn't underestimate it. But I do think it's okay to sort of enjoy the fact that it is at the moment appears to be a little bit of Trump just screaming into the void. Yep. uh, And maybe trying to draw more people there by being like, hey. We got some crazy stuff. I'm going to talk about civil war. And while I think like retweeting a quote tweet of like a South American dictator, I believe. Oh, is so, that who? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's hmm. it's kind of what you would expect. Yeah. Um, but I do think it is encouraging, I guess, that not a lot of people have been like, okay, I want to run to this. It also made me think about how like the idea of Trump coming back to Twitter and that kind of thing, like since that's been bandied about recently, seeing what he shares and what he tweets on True Social is a reminder to me of what a relief it was when he was no longer allowed on Twitter or Facebook and how that has changed in a significant way the discourse of the country. And we don't have to constantly talk about the awful thing that he just said. Yeah, I'm, I'm of two minds of this. I agree that it's it's encouraging that this hasn't done super well, but it's also early enough that Trump has, you know, you never count this guy out, you know, and I think he could be doing these rallies in the lead up to the 2020 election, telling people to pull out their phones and download this thing. And I think it, you know, he could resurrect this thing. It certainly doesn't look great right now. This actually reminds me, though, of there's another social media platform that's been in the news. We, I wasn't planning to ask you about this, but why not? It's talking trash. Last week, Elon Musk tweeted something in the middle of the week about how he's now only voting Republican. And he had previously been saying, you know, he's kind of a moderate and the party shifted, the Democrats shifted more to the left. And I think he was kind of counting himself as like a kind of an eclectic figure. And I was like, man, this is interesting timing. And then when he tweeted that out, he said something like Democratic hatchet men or whatever are going to be coming after me. And I'm like, huh, 
There's a part of my brain, which probably your brain went to too, which is, this doesn't feel accidental. And it wasn't. The next day, I think, it came out that a few years ago, he had settled a claim from uh, somebody who was aboard one of his private jets, I think was a masseuse, who claimed that he made unwanted sexual advances and, and he paid out a $250,000 settlement there. So it seems he must have been contacted by this reporter and was like, my move here is going to be to say I'm a Republican. Jason, it's such an interesting choice that his first decision was to declare for the Republican Party when faced with a sexual you know, impropriety claim. Yeah, what I wonder is, was it like, I'm going to make it seem as if this is why this accusation came out? Because the other option is he's just going, well, I guess I'm a Republican now because that's the party that won't turn on me for this, right? Yes, that, that I think this so. is okay. Yeah. So I guess it could be a little bit of both. But what I think it points to is the sort of approach of the right at the moment is really what are you against or more who's against you, right? Yep. It's, it's not like what are you for, it's who's against you. And and to be fair, like there's an element of this on both sides of our politics, unfortunately, right now. But it, it does seem like everybody is defined by who opposes them, which is why you see us constantly worrying about people retreating to the right, even though they don't necessarily agree with them on policy, but because they feel like they're being opposed by the right. So for instance, their entire strategy across the country, like with the average voter, we've talked about this is, well, let's make white men feel like they're not welcome in the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party doesn't like them. That's what the right argues. So therefore, they must be Republicans, even if they like agree with the Democrats on everything. Let's do the same thing with people who don't live in cities. So that's their move. And so I guess that's what they're trying to do with notable figures like Musk too. Right. And it's working. Yeah. Somebody tweeted something to the effect of, you know, the Democratic Party is so powerful that they, you know, got in a time machine and forced you in 2018 to sign a settlement with this person, like as if the Democratic Party had anything to do with this incident on his plane. And I don't know what happened on his plane. And the reporting around it is like a second person account. So it's a friend speaking on that person's behalf. I think there's so much to be learned about this. So I don't I don't want to get out in front of the facts, but It's so notable that he feels like the Republican Party is the place you go when you're faced with something like this. And in part because they're the party like you saw the way they handle with Trump. Right. And the multiple claims against him. That's the place you go if you want people to have your back. It's also a a pretty substantial move for a person who is trying to acquire what is yeah, it's social media, but is basically one of the most powerful media companies in the world. right? Right. Like he's in the process of trying to become the owner of Twitter. And you would think with that, and he has pretty well tried to position himself as this, like put himself in a place where he's supposed to be this uh, neutral arbiter, right? right? Like that's his whole thing. Like I, I want to get rid of the bots, which he claims are, are rampant. And and I want to just have a free speech approach where we just let anybody in. So I don't think he planned for part of that rollout, for part of the messaging, messaging to be, I'm now going to declare which political party I'm a member of. Like, right. that, that was not in the plans for this period. And it goes to show you how personality-driven so much of this stuff is. This is a guy who up until now had dedicated his life to fighting climate change by uh, you know, creating electric cars. Right. And now he's like, I'm with the party that opposes that at every step. And then when John Favreau brought that up, he was like, well, this administration hasn't really been very good to Tesla. It's like a double thing, right? It's like, one, I don't like the way I've been treated by the left. Two, my excuse for abandoning the cause that has been the central activism cause of my life is 
I don't like the way this administration treated my individual company. So, you know, I think a lot of this is that they're trying to personalize this, whether it's for major figures like Musk or for the average voter. Yeah. And never mind the contradiction that Mr. Free Speech is forcing people into NDAs, you know, like non-disclosure <laughs> yes. agreements. Well, I know there's just turmoil in the markets right now, high inflation, and people are coming out of a pandemic. And so I, I just I know it's tough times financially for a lot of people. And it's really hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel when you have high interest debt. And sometimes it could be even harder to ask for help. And that's where Upstart comes in. We've all been there seemingly out of nowhere getting hit with unexpected expenses or bills. Upstart powered personal loans can help you pay down high interest debts all online with simple and easy to understand payment terms. Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score. So rather than looking at your credit score alone, Upstart's model considers other factors like your income, employment, and other information provided in your loan application to find you a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000 without impacting your credit score. You can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Don't wait and check your rate today at upstart.com slash majority 54. That's upstart.com slash majority 54 to check your rate today. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash majority54. There's a lot of reasons why I love my Helix mattress, and it varies from week to week. This week, it is how good it is for my back. I had one of those weeks where my lower back just went out. So you know, I did the ice thing, but I was really excited to get into bed and start sleeping with my Helix mattress again, like get back in there, get get situated the right way. And I think people really underestimate like how much back pain they're going to get from a mattress that doesn't align their spine properly. Mine does. And now I'm feeling much better. So yet another reason to get a Helix mattress. I know so many of you are looking for mattresses. You got to take that quiz. It's super short and they'll get you a mattress that's matched to you. and It'll come right to your door, ship for free. So just go to helixsleep.com slash majority 54, take their two minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10 year warranty and you get to try it for a hundred nights risk free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. And Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash majority54. That's helixsleep.com slash majority54 for up to $200 off and two free pillows. Well, let's bring it back to Madison Cawthorn, and I promise you there's a connection here. So, you know, Trump is tweeting this Civil War stuff, right? Uh, Cawthorn lost his election, as we've covered, I accept all the apologies from everybody who went your way in that debate. We won't go over it. But then he said after the election, he said, quote, I'm on a mission now to expose those who say and promise one thing and yet legislate and work towards another self-profiteering globalist goal. It's time for the rise of the new right. It's time for dark MAGA to truly take command. And I mention this because this seems related to the Civil War stuff, like this dark MAGA what do you think he means by this? And I think whoever said it last week that we weren't hearing the last of Madison Cawthorn, that person was correct. We still have him in our lives. Well, he appears to be coining a term, yeah, uh, which is notable and like a super scary one. I mean, yeah. like this is like this is some Sith Lord type stuff. I don't know if dark MAGA means like really, really awful and pernicious MAGA or if it means like out in like in the shadows or both 
you know, it is at the same time also like a he's mapping out his path to remain politically relevant. Yes. Um, but yeah, like I, I think it's worth watching. We could guess like what is dark MAGA? I mean, it's like it's not in the basement. It's like in a sub level basement. It's like one level down. Right. Uh, I'm not sure. Like, Well, this is I think that they're you're starting to see with both Trump's Civil War tweet and this comment by Cawthorn. If you talk to enough people who are like on the sort of intellectual, like pseudo intellectual fringe of the Republican Party, which is not so fringe anymore of the sort of Trump wing. You know, my dad is always like keeping tabs on these ideas. So I hear these from him a lot. There's this guy named Michael Anton who wrote an essay before the 2016 election. And he made it in a, a metaphor, the Flight 93 metaphor, that I think is very popular on the right, which essentially what he was saying right before the 2016 election is like, we as a country are the equivalent of the passengers on Flight 93, which is the flight that was headed, I think, for the White House. And then the passengers, you know, wrestled control of the plane and, and wound up going down before it reached the White House. And he's saying, we need to you know, storm the cockpit. And wrestle control from the liberals who are destroying society, essentially. And they're basically saying any means necessary to wrestle control the cockpit. So what he was saying is Trump, as imperfect a vessel as he is, and our methods as imperfect as they are, they're justified in the name of this larger cause, which is to take our country back, right? And I think that kind of thinking is becoming more and more mainstream on the right, like this idea that any means necessary uh, are justified. And we're seeing it all across the board. Like New York Times had a great, this is, I think, a good segue into the news of the week, which is there's like a million different things going on at once that are all part of the same story. New York Times had a story about how there's all this activity happening in the state legislatures around the country to decertify the election results from 2020, prepare to steal the election moving forward, make it harder for people to vote, et cetera. And just how close we got to catastrophe before and how poorly set up we are moving forward. But then we also had the Pennsylvania results where Doug Mastriano won last week. And he's you know somebody who is a big proponent of the big lie, was at January 6th and is you know the person who would be appointing the secretary of state in Pennsylvania to control the elections, who's just explicitly about stealing the election in the future. Uh, the Republican candidate for governor in Pennsylvania, I mean, to me, this you know, for all the talk about Madison Cawthorn, you know, to me, the, the story of the week is Doug Mastriano. He is a known election denier who actually attended the Stop the Steal rally on January 6th. He was pictured up on the Capitol grounds that day. He's openly talked about how he plans to handle uh, the 2024 election. Let's watch. As governor, I, I get to appoint the secretary of state and I, I have a voting reform minded individual who, who's uh, been traveling the nation and knows voting reform extremely well. That individual has agreed to be my secretary of state. I'm going to have, of course, a team around that individual that that's uh, really good on voting reform. Uh, as governor, I get to decertify any or all machines in the state. And obviously, I have my eyes on uh, several of the counties that have machines that I believe are, are compromised. So you have all of that going on. And then you have conservatives continuing to flirt with, you know, the Hungarian leader, Viktor Orban, which I know you've been fascinated by. Well, CPAC has made its way to Europe for the very first time. The conservative conference is underway in Hungary, partnering with a government that many people feel is backsliding on democracy. The country's president, Viktor Orban, is included as a featured speaker. In his speech, he pushed for a conservative takeover. So CBS News correspondent 
Adam Yamaguchi is in uh, Hungary on a reporting trip. He's also the, one of the few Western journalists who's gained access to the conference. Um, can you describe what the scene's like for us there and who's in attendance? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a really interesting scene. As I, as I walk through the halls of the conference, I, I hear mostly Hungarian being spoken. And, and every now and again, I hear that distinct American accented English. And in talking to these attendants, I, I feel like I could be at any conservative gathering in the U.S. because the talk is all about gender, CRT, cancel culture, uh, being censored on tech platforms, and of course, the elite liberal media. Basically, uh, this idea of an illiberal democracy seems to be a fantasy of Republicans. I don't even know what my question is other than like, how freaked out are you about this and what do we do? So uh, I think there's two things happening simultaneously that are scary. The first thing is what we've we've mentioned this before, that there's an international uh, struggle going on between authoritarianism and democracy, right? And it's playing out in places like Hungary. It's why the why CPAC went to Hungary and did a bunch of anti-Semitic stuff for, you know, supposedly for Republicans abroad, so to speak. But it's really just, hey, we're part of the far right movement internationally. And this is a place where this far right authoritarian movement has taken hold. So that's the first piece is like, what's going on in America it was not started by Trump. It was not started by Sarah Palin or any of that. It is the exact same thing happening around the world, which is there's a struggle for between authoritarianism and democracy. And this is our version of it. That's the first thing. But the second thing, which is making it worse and, and making it happen faster here is the existence of, of gerrymandering and the way that our elections are done, because we basically have two separate politics going on in this country, right? It's not just two parties. We have a competition to lead the Republican Party and a competition to lead the Democratic Party. And when you have severe gerrymandering, like we have it both in state legislatures and in Congress, you have a system that really doesn't cause these two parties to have to fight one another very often at all. It'd be like if there was only a World Series every four years. And most years, you just had a champion of the American League and a champion of the National mm -hmm. League, and they never played each other, right? Mm -hmm. That's what's going on in American politics. And so you have this movement sweeping across the world. And then at the same time in America, you have very little incentive to do anything but try and get as far to the right or as far to the left as possible, mostly as far to the right. And so that's why like this part of this conversation started with Madison Cawthorn's reaction to losing his primary. Because remember, when he goes to Dark MAGA has to rise, that's because he just lost a primary. And his instinct is, how much further right can I go? So when we look at what's going on in state legislatures with people embracing the big lie, and I guarantee you it is a lot of people who don't truly believe the big lie, they feel that they have to, because to them, right. that's what politics is. It's how do you get to the top of this right-wing extravaganza? And that's super dangerous. I just saw news this morning that there's a Democratic super PAC already dropping $6 million worth of ads against Mastriano. So it looks like people are taking this seriously. And we're going to quickly get overwhelmed by the amount of Mastriano-like figures who emerge from these primaries. And I think, you know, my advice to the audience is pick a couple states, give as much as you can to the candidates. For me, like this is the number one issue is like when I'm rank ordering like candidates I'm most concerned about, it's people who have anything to do with elections uh, are the people mm -hmm. I'm I'm prioritizing my time and money for. And that's why Mastriano is really concerning. You know, we're talking about a swing state that was razor thin. He would have not only the legislative control that a governor has, but also the electoral control. So that's about as important a race as any in this country. 
Well, and to, just to give people an idea of the stakes, Josh Shapiro, the attorney general, who's the Democratic candidate for governor there, who would, if he wins, obviously appoint the secretary of state, has committed to appoint somebody who is pro-voting rights. But like, just to give you an idea, like the current interim secretary of state appointed in Pennsylvania right now is Lee Chapman, who is an alum of Let America Vote and was Let America Vote's policy director. So like, that's the level of swing you can go from. You can go from a secretary of state who was policy director for Let America Vote to whatever the heck, you know, Mastriano would, would appoint, which would be the policy director for never let America vote, I guess. Well, I think it's worth mentioning also that they are reaping what they sowed on the right right now. Another race that hasn't been called yet as of this recording is Dr. Oz versus McCormick in Pennsylvania. Trump is urging Oz to declare victory. And this is Trump's quote. He says, it makes it much harder for them to cheat with the ballots that they just happened to find. So essentially what we're starting to see, and we, I think we had talked about this a while ago, that when you start delegitimizing elections, it's not just going to play out in Democrat versus Republican races. It's going to happen in Republican versus Republican races. And when neither of you take seriously the franchise, chaos is going to ensue. And you have McCormick now in the situation of, you know, a a proponent of the big lie, a big sub theory of which is that absentee ballots and vote by mail are somehow illegitimate. Now he's asking for those votes to be counted. It's a little bit of justice, but also like kind of concerning that this is going to be pretty standard now where, you know, these people don't accept the results of election. Whoever's losing is going to whine. Whoever is slightly ahead on election day is just going to declare victory and say that anything that happens after election day is illegitimate. This is a playbook. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse as these deniers are actually in the position of counting the votes as well. So something for us to look forward to, you know? Yeah, I I wish I could say like, well, this will really show them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think they're going to take the lesson. I start every morning by taking athletic greens because of the way it makes me feel, because everything that's in them that is what my body needs. Diana is on the athletic greens train, has been for a while. The difference is I've continued to do it in the morning. Diana has started drinking her athletic greens more like in the afternoon because it's part of my morning routine. I never forget. And what Diana has done a few times over the last few weeks is she makes her little bottle of athletic greens, gets ready to go to wherever she's going, and then leaves it behind. And then she comes back and she's like, oh, I did it again. So she still drinks it, but it's getting harder and harder for her to remember to do it. I think, you know, my method is pretty good. Start your day that way. Get that hydration first thing in the day. You might be asking yourself, if you're new to this podcast, what is this stuff? It's a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, all the things. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with one convenient daily nutritional source. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash majority. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hey, it's Elise Hugh, host of TED Talks Daily. Sound familiar? Once in a century voter turnout, once in a century pandemic, old technology, low budgets, somehow democracy survives. What if the people with ideas to fix these problems actually had the resources to do it? The Audacious Project is catalyzing more than $900 million to fund changemakers who want to rescue our democracy. Follow TED Talks Daily to hear these ideas now. 
Well, let's get to voicemails. Hey, Jason, Robbie, this is Mike. I'm not going to tell you where I'm from because people might figure out who I am, but I'm a small town, medium sized town bank manager. And I'm wondering how I should address this situation. For some reason, when clients see me, a 55 year old cis white guy sitting in a desk at a bank, they immediately think Republican when uh, it couldn't be further from the truth. And I don't know what to say to these people when they walk into my cubicle and start spewing their Fox News right-wing nonsense. And I've done everything I can. I mean, I got a pride flag on my desk and a Black Lives Matter sticker on my car, so you think they'd get a clue, but they don't. So just wondering if maybe you guys have some sage advice on how I might talk to these people and try to bring them around to my point of view. Keep up the good work, guys. Well, from an undisclosed location, Jason... Props to Mike for coming out of witness protection to ask this question. I don't know. My instinct is that this is a superpower, Mike. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, and and so I think, but I think Mike realized, I think he has an inkling that that might be the case. And he's like, so how do I do this? Ravi, what are your thoughts? I don't know if he needs to come out of hiding. I don't know exactly what these people are telling him. So I I don't want to in any way endorse him validating hateful ideas so i would i'd put that as like the sort of engagement with those kind of ideas with like which party you're in i would say like for your business's sake sometimes it's good for people not to know what your party is like so i would try to shut down any discussion of stuff you don't want to validate without necessarily having anybody know what your party is unless you feel like you have a sufficient base of democrats where you're running your business that you could survive off of that but i you know maybe i'm just conservative on that just cuz you you don't want to like you don't want to create a partisan litmus test for your business i, th- I think i'm going to disagree and i think it's i think mike has come to us to say how do i yeah. use this as an opportunity and and perhaps that's a little bit of a result of sounds like Mike is the bank manager, but not the bank owner. So I think he's yeah. sort of like, hey, uh, I, I appear to be in this position where I might be able to win some people over. And I guess I, I agree, like if if people say things that are like hateful or that are racist or, you know, intolerant, like I, I think, you know, you should have a zero tolerance for that. And, and in a in as kind a way as possible, point out to them that you don't like that. But if they are just saying some things like building a rapport with you, like I think maybe you can uh, let the first couple pitches go by so you can build that rapport. And then, you know, I would kind of kindly, and I wouldn't even talk about Democrat and Republican. Like if you're sitting there, I'm, I'm guessing like if you're at a bank and if you're talking about the things that people across a desk from a bank manager in a bank are going to talk about, perhaps they're talking about taxes or gas prices or, you know, economic stuff, inflation. Maybe just hang back a second and then gradually introduce alternative ideas and alternative theories, you know, and, and see what happens, see what lands. I would test some things out. The other thing is if you've established a relationship with them, I would not hesitate to be. And if you're comfortable with it, I'd be like, yeah, actually, you know, I, I don't agree. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Democrat and uh, I don't agree. And then it, but then I'd say, hey, but, you know, I really appreciate you. And just be nice about it. But yeah. like sometimes the most important thing in a smaller town is to be like, actually, me, this person you trust and have been doing business with and sitting across from for a long time, I vote this other way. Yeah. 
I guess I'm more conservative on this in the sense that also don't know this position of the bank, right? Is this a local bank, a national chain, et cetera, and what the policy is? I'm always worried about people getting fired for this kind of stuff. And maybe it's the educator in me because so many of our listeners, they, they know this context that in the educational setting, like letting your politics out in this environment in a small town type of conservative environment could be career suicide sometimes. So I just like, I like our listeners to stay employed and persuasive at the same time. Well, I I trust Mike to make that judgment call. Yeah, you're right. He wants to, so I shouldn't stop him. He's got the, he's got the discretion to be like, uh, I'm not telling you where I'm from, but it also sounds like it irritates Mike that people look at him and think he's a Republican. So yeah. what are some fun things that Mike could do to avoid that? I mean, you could grow your hair out, but anymore, I'm not sure that that would do it. I would say like get a tattoo, but again, I, anymore, I'm not sure that that, that yeah. would do it. Yeah. Kid Rock is a Republican and he has tattoos and long hair, you know? Right. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're at the point where you're, you, you have to make decisions about like political flair. Like, are we, are mm-hmm. we wearing stickers on our person? You know, I mean, you could always just go with like a Biden hat. You can get a majority 54 shirt. Yes. The prog, one of the progress ones. Yeah. Cause that's a little, that's kind of, people are like, I don't like progress. And then they're like, Oh, I know Mike, Mike likes progress. <laughs> All right. Hey, Robbie and Jason, this is Katie Mousy calling from Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm calling because my Republican father uh, had a conversation with me on the phone last night about CRT. It was very inquisitive, very civil, and I hung up thinking, God, he just needs to go on Majority 54. And my pitch is this. I am in my 30s, and to this day I have never been able to figure out my father. He is a total enigma. He voted his first election in 1972 when he voted for Richard Nixon. I don't think he's ever voted for a Democrat since or missed an election for that matter. But on the flip side of that, the two facets of his identity that he clings to most ardently are that he's a massive deadhead and he was a very proud union man every day of his career. And so he's just, he's a different animal altogether. And I love my dad. I think he'd be really great on the show. I guess my pitch is this. I need you to help me figure out how do I convince a man who's a Democrat in everything but name that he's actually a Democrat. Jason, I think we should have this guy on. We should give it a try. Like we should we should try to convince him he's a Democrat on air. Yes. First of all, I think we'll start with yes. We can start like strategy planning for our approach here. First thing we want to I would want to ask is like, let's talk about why you spent your entire career in a union and what you feel like it did. For you, keeping in mind that he may have some complaints about the union as well, like anybody would who's had a lifelong relationship with anything. Right. Yeah. I I think there's something about the state of Utah that I find very promising for these types of conversations. Like we've had Spencer, the governor of Utah, on. I, I don't presume to know if this person is Mormon or not, but there's something about the Mormon community, Utah, this just spills over into Arizona too, where I think there was a lot of data to suggest that. The reason why Democrats have been making inroads in Arizona is because the Mormon community as a whole has some misgivings about Trump and the way he carries himself. So it sounds like, you know, your your dad is like a really good guy. And I think that's always a starting point of a conversation is like personal ethics before anything else is a good place to be like, all right, do you want to vote for somebody and validate somebody who's, you know, carries themselves in a way that is anathema to who you are, you know? Which I think gets at, 
the fact that he's been voting Republican since 1972, which means that that is just as much a part of his idea of who he is as being a deadhead, being a union member, being your father, like, you know, not obviously as important, but it's in there in the same way. And you have to recognize that. And so in order to get someone to change a part of how they identify themselves to themselves, you have to make that square with a lot of other pieces of themselves that they already see, right? So it's right to start with uh, the union piece, for instance, but it's, I think it's important to go back to like their values. So like, if we have him on, I would want to ask him a lot of questions about like, you know, ethics and what he sees as right and wrong and the choices he makes in life so that eventually the idea, and this I think is, is the only approach to it is for the person to conclude, oh, actually my identity and my idea of myself hasn't changed, but the way I'm describing it and the way I'm affiliating it has changed. The, when she goes to the whole, like, they've changed, you haven't thing. Right. And I think when we invite him on, you know, both of you should come on, just like our Wisconsin episode. I think that's a good model. And, you know, maybe we're not explicitly framing it as like, hey, we're trying to convince you you're a Democrat more. Like, let me understand how you arrived at your politics. And because I think if we're like, hey, we're trying to convince you, if I were him, I'd be like, I'm going to come on and I'm going to throw up some roadblocks immediately, you know? Yeah, you're going to be defensive. So yeah. we got to take the approach. We've talked about this in recent episodes. We have to be curious. Yeah, maybe he'll convince judgmental. us we're Republicans, Jason. You never know. It's a possibility. Anything is, well, probably not. But, uh, <laughs> you know. Our listeners are, are going to tweet at me like, oh, you are one, Robbie. Like Some of our <laughs> listeners are convinced I'm like conservative. So save the tweets. All right. I won't see them anyway because I won't log on for a couple of weeks. But I get the joke. Ravi's not a Republican. He's I'm just here to, I'm a yeah, he's just, well, and, 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 and he likes to play devil's advocate. I'm a loyal Democrat who, you know, it likes to engage in the dialectic. Hey, guys, my question uh, is about how the faith community, specifically the um, Christian faith community, more specifically the evangelical community, folks who are consider part you know this part of your movement this kind of uh, voting for progress type movement um how can we engage both inwardly to our community that has been vastly misrepresented in my opinion but you know you see you say the word evangelical and people's um, assumptions probably point to oh so you're a trumper <laughs> um so how can we uh, any thoughts about how we can um help inwardly uh, that community think more about voting progressively and uh, in that way. And then how can we also speak outwardly, you know, and kind of, I guess, reclaim, I don't know if reclaim is the right word, but any thoughts there? Uh, if you personally have opinions or thoughts, I would love to hear them. Um, anyway, thanks so much for your work. You're doing really, really, really important stuff and you're educating guys like me to um, think more critically and um, yeah, more openly about, uh, about life. Take care. All the best. Bye. Ravi, you, grew up with the church. I don't think it was an evangelical church, but you grew up. So you take a stab at this. You know, I, I think like what's confounding, I think is, or at least uh, confusing about the sort of the role of religion in society is that it seems to be focused on one issue of abortion, right? And I think what's frustrating for Democrats is that you, I often feel like Trump and the Republican Party their policies and the way they carry themselves contradict so much else if we're talking about Christianity and evangelical church that it's like, how do you convince somebody who believes strongly that abortion is wrong? Uh, and when they believe it's wrong, it's not like a trivial matter to them, right? How do you convince them 
to, you know, weigh that against other things, right? And I'm like, how do I bring evidence to a discussion that is faith-based, right? Somebody's just will claim this is what they believe. And I'm like, all right, I don't know if evidence is necessarily going to walk you down from that ledge. So I guess my answer is like, I don't know. This sort of tropey answer is, well, talk about the death penalty, talk about his personal conduct, talk about how we treat the poor, Jesus's example about, you know, how we treat the downtrodden and how unchristian the way the Republican Party talks about people living in poverty is. But I just don't feel like that's enough. I feel like this question was structured in a way that is instructive. Like he's saying, first, how do I do this internally within the evangelical community? And then second, how do I how do we do this aimed message wise at the evangelical community? And I think that that is the right way to think about it, because no matter how great your messaging to the evangelical community or to any faith based community may be, if there's no natural home within that community for that set of beliefs, no sense that, oh, there there are others among my group that believe this, then it's multitudes harder to actually convince people. So I think the answer is, is that you have to start by finding, even if they're very few in number, finding the other like-minded people within your community. And you need to be loud and you need to let other people in your community, maybe it's just in your congregation to start with, know that you're there. So whatever you may call it, evangelicals for or whatever, or just even if you're just on social media all together, taking pictures of yourselves and all your friends from your church see it and you're at you know a, a progressive event, like you have to create a safe place within your world for any other messages to get in. Otherwise, they're just going to bounce off the force field because people are going to be like, that's not a thing that people like me do. But if they see it, they go, oh, that's a thing. There are people like me who believe this. Okay, well, I guess I should think about that for a second. I actually think what you're saying is instructive for people who are trying to create a sub-community on any issue, right? Not just religion, not just the evangelical community, but you know, creating sub-communities that think the way you do, but that reflect the larger values of that community. That's a, that's a great playbook. I like that. You got to find other deadhead union members from Utah who happen to be progressive and you got to have a couple of them over for dinner to meet your dad. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's how you got to do it. All right, for Grab an Oar slash Road to the Midterms, you've been seeing these fights all over the country over what the district lines are going to look like, all these redistricting, gerrymandering fights in the courts. The Republicans in Kansas, so right across the state line from me, have really gone out of their way to try and win extra seats by drawing lines that are completely unfair. But that doesn't mean that Sharice Davids, the representative for the third district, a Democrat in Kansas, uh, doesn't still have a real shot because she is an incredible fighter, has been a great member of Congress, and people just really like her here. She's got an incredible personal story, uh, so I would encourage you to look her up. But either way, she is an incumbent Democratic member of Congress who they are trying to draw lines to defeat her because they can't defeat her otherwise. But she can still beat them. So I would encourage everybody to go check out Sharice Davids and her reelection in like the Kansas City suburbs, basically the third district of Kansas. You heard we got into some voicemails this week. Next week, it could be yours. In a future week, it could be yours. 508-687-2589. 508-687-2589. You can also email us m54 
at wondermedianetwork.com. Uh, send us who you've been talking to for our Pledge to Persuade campaign. Have you had any successes, any failures? Let's talk about it. Uh, you know, if you want your dad or mom to come on, like make a pitch and we'll try and figure that out. I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. Our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch, E.D. Allard, and Adesua Agbenile. Theme music is provided by Kemet Coleman, and special thanks to Diana Cannon. By the way, my dad, I never I should have given an update at some point to the audience. My dad is still running for state senate, and his opponent, the Democrat incumbent, is now running for the congressional seat. So my dad doesn't actually so it's have- an open seat uh, now. It's kind of an open seat, yeah. But he's taking it so seriously that he's going to Paris for two weeks in the middle of the election. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. Oh, good. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.